Welcome to... Okay. Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Racketan Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights, we break down all the Division I women's action. But of course, over the next two nights, we have the opportunity here at Crack Rackets to finally break down our opening weekend of play from the Division I NCAA team event. What an exciting, dramatic compelling, exceptional weekend of tennis. All of us college tennis fans were treated to. Of course, we've got another exceptional weekend on the horizon with the Super Regionals or Sweet 16s impending over the course of Friday or Saturday, excuse me. But again, we got a lot of stuff to discuss here on today's show. Recap what happened, preview what's ahead, of course. Joining me to help me do all of that is the man who has joined me each on and every week on this show. Of course, a man you all know best as the returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, the founder of the No Ad blog and podcast, and of course, our dearest friends, co-host of The Deciding Points. It's John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show weekend number one of the NTA tournament in the books hangover abated my friend how are you feeling yeah I'm feeling good you know I'm still adjusting to the multi-weekend NCAA format with this super regional uh you know appetizer entree and dessert if you will uh (laughs) three course meal so I'm still adjusting to it I'm used to now going straight to Orlando or the final site uh but yeah is this our Pen ultimate episode of live deciding point? Mm, that's a great question. It really just depends on the scheduling over the course of the NCAA tournament. No. We got what do you mean? It definitely is. Well, right? why couldn't we go live while there? Well, that's net penultimate, second to last. Yeah, right? but so, uh, but aren't we gonna record next week after this? Oh, I just meant week? like live. Yes, but that's the last one, right? And then otherwise we're in Orlando, like we're there. Yeah, but it's still deciding. It hasn't been decided. I guess that's a battle of the nomenclature. Oh, but yeah. I just meant, you know, our, our Tuesday night slot. Ah, I see yes. what you're saying. Yeah, I guess this is the we are rounding the end. That makes me sad to say at the same time for Super Producer Daniel Westoff's health. That's probably the best thing for all of us. But yeah, I mean, look. It's the NCAA tournament. This is, without question, the best month of the year. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Between this, Rome, Madrid, the French Open, pound for pound, May's the best month on the tennis calendar. And, of course, again, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. We had some upsets, host seeds going down, not just, again, seeds ranked 9 to 16 but no for the first time we're going to have a non top 8 seed host one of these super regional matches on the women's side obviously UCLA providing the most dramatic result of the weekend stunning 4-3 victory at Duke we'll talk about that Auburn's 4-3 victories over FIU over Miami we'll run through how all the top seeds look try to be pretty efficient with that because of course there's no time to rest Super regionals ahead, sweet 16, eight fantastic matches. Of course, Jay and I want to offer our thoughts on each of them on tonight's show. Yeah, jam-packed episode for all of you college tennis fans to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, a couple of things. A, 
in preparation for the impending May Madness, we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to get all of you prepared. As such, we're running back one of our favorite segments, one of our favorite bits. It's our NCAA Sweet 16 Press Row. I'm going to mix things up a little bit this year as opposed to just speaking to head coaches. I'm going to speak to one representative from every team. Maybe it's going to be an assistant. Maybe it's going to be a player. Maybe it will be the head coach. I want to get insight into all of these teams. I want to prepare all of you for the impending action. So if that intrigues any of you, be sure to check out our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff churning those out at an exceptional rate. Uh, of course, also a massive shout out before we get started to all of you fans who tuned in to our coverage of the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Westoff, Dalton, who do so much behind the scenes to make all of this possible. And of course, Perry Shinen, who helped steer the ship throughout the course of the way and you know, again, those are long hours. Those are long days. Each of them were exceptional. Really appreciate all that they have done. Of course, we keep rocking and rolling here this weekend, not just with the super regional coverage, which we'll have Friday and Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We're hitting D2. We're hitting D3. We're going divisions wide with our NCAA tournament coverage. So starting this Friday, we'll have Crack Rackets broadcast featuring some sort of NCAA coverage every day from this Friday through the end of the month. So if you want to see anything as it relates to the college tennis season, we'll have it for you here at Crack Rackets. Really excited to announce that news. Very excited to gear up for the month ahead. What did I do as warm-up for all of those broadcasts, Jay? I scheduled 32 interviews in the three days prior <laughs> uh, so that, you know, to make sure I'm rocking and rolling. Any thoughts on those things before, of course, I plug our dear friends at Turner and LS? Well, you were right. I mean, those are very long hours this weekend. So shout out to you and the team for pulling those hours. Uh, look, you know, I love press row. I love it better when we get the final site, Sweet 16, because it's a true, I get to listen to everything. And then now sometimes you have to listen after they've lost their Sweet 16 match. It's a little uncomfortable. But uh, no, I love that you're mixing it up. I love that we have assistant coaches on. I love that we have players on. I love the idea of one representative. It's great to hear. And I would highly encourage people to check it out. Either listen to your your favorite team or multiple. Listen to your opponent that you're going to face. Always a really good listen. There's some fun questions in there, I think, as well. So I'm excited to dive in. Can I also give a little tease about John J. Parsons' contributions to this year's Press Row? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the tease is I'm not doing all 32 episodes, folks. I guess I should have said I scheduled 31 interviews because Mm. you're going to get some John J. Parsons content, at least one that we have right now on the books uh, as you listen. So be sure to check those out. Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can find a link to all of them on our website, CrackedRackets.com, which our super producer, Daniel Westoff, was kind enough to post in our chat here tonight. So, again, any of that intrigues you. Be sure to check it out. Shout out to all of these representatives because they've been very generous with their time. And I think I've done 11, 12 interviews, something like that so far. Not a single one has disappointed. So I promise you'll all enjoy that. Of course, I also promise you'll enjoy everything provided by our dear friends and sponsors at Turna and LS. If you haven't already heard, Turna Tough, it's taken over. That Turna Grip, again, the latest iteration of the Turna Grip, which of course has been a staple in the tennis world now for multiple generations. It's going to get more durable as you play. It's going to get tackier as you sweat. And of course, it's going to retain that trademarked iconic blue color that can be seen on the rackets of so many college players, pros, people throughout the tennis world. We're so grateful for the support we get from our friends at Turner. The least we can do ask you to support them as well. Be sure to check out Turner wherever 
you shop for your tennis supplies and be sure to turn to them as an homage of their support to this show. Of course, a massive shout out to our dear friends at LS as well, who have been with us since the beginning here this season. And, you know, from Dave Emke, the entire team at LS, we appreciate their support. We appreciate the high quality products they're providing. Again, you will feel good. You will play better decked out in LS gear. You'll feel comfortable as well. I promise you can have access and look at their entire catalog by clicking on the link in the description to this episode. Again, a massive thank you to the support we get from our friends at LS. Learn more by clicking on that link in the description to this show. With that said, again, Jay, much like in our NCAA tournament draw preview, I want to be efficient here tonight with our recapping because Look, there are a lot of good first-round matches, and I meant to text you this. I'm going to ask you for your favorite first-round matches at the end of this exercise before we turn to the Super Regionals. But there are a couple things we do have to take a deep dive into. We do have to break down. And obviously, first and foremost, on top of everything, is the result we saw at Duke. You know, obviously, this is a UCLA team that it's UCLA. We know what they've accomplished. They have won a national championship in the past decade. They have put Jennifer Brady from, you know, again, where she was her freshman season into in uh, an Australian Open, I believe. Yeah, final. final. And a U.S. Open semifinal as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's UCLA. It speaks for itself. That said, certainly these past two seasons, they have been on the outside of the top 16, not the top eight. They have been the outside of the top 16 Looking inwards, coming into the weekend, they were 13 and seven and overall. Yeah, they had impressive wins over Pepperdine, over Ohio State, but those were really the only two marquee victories you could turn to. You couldn't point to the fact that we saw them at the national indoors because they didn't just lose kickoff weekend; they lost two matches. A loss to FIU that aged well this weekend, let the record show. But you know, they lost two kickoff weekend matches. They've been chasing and playing from behind ever since. They were playing from behind in this match. They dropped the doubles point. And let's be clear, you know, Hanson Wagle served for that double set at the number one spot. I believe they're up 6-5 there. You know, Beck and Coleman ultimately end up breaking and no Camora in the lineup for Duke, which I'm sure we'll discuss here tonight. You know, again, Wagle Hans serve for it. They get broken. Duke plays a perfect tie break to secure that set and secure the doubles point seven, six. You then have Beck Jackson Schwetz all taking first set. Schwetz is up six love, three love. There was every opportunity for this UCLA team to just roll over. And I think that's where we have to start with our analysis of this match. It's not just that they won. It's that Hanson Wagley after that disappointment in doubles, they both come back. They win in straight sets. You know, they get a, a first set and a really competitive first set from Asasha Vagramov, the senior, who has struggled throughout the course of this year, particularly given where she's played in the lineup and what she's done in the past in her career. You know, and then obviously they have the freshman in Luca Meyer, who's down six love, three love to Brianna Schwetz and is not looking competitive in those first nine games. And despite all of those circumstances, this team somehow, sorry, listeners, young people, I apologize, seems somehow fucking wins the match, Jay. This was incredible tennis. What was your reaction to it all? It, it was a stunned reaction. I feel like I woke up the next day still in 
shock. Uh, it was very, very surprising. I mean, you talk about the uh, moments we've seen from UCLA and the win over Ohio State, the win over Pepperdine. We've seen flashes of that, but then they go to the Pac-12 tournament in Ohio and they get you know, routined by, you know, a very good Washington team, but it wasn't competitive at all. And so that fight and competitiveness that you saw and just talked about in this Duke match where we're back up against the wall, they came back. You hadn't really seen that, at least in the last few weeks. Uh, so that was surprising. And, you know, they are 3,000 miles away at Duke late at night, which I think benefited the broadcast a little bit. It got primetime viewing for the broadcast. But, you know, they're at Duke. They're away at, late at night. And um, all of those players that you've talked about have struggled this season, right? There's really only one well, player. On the can I just quickly, before you get to that, because you bring up a point about the late at night, and I'm just curious on yeah. your perspective. This is one of the takes that, I've been brewing. I think there's something to that match going late. The fact that the Duke men took a little longer to close out their match and then that match got pushed back. If you are not in California, if you have access to an indoor facility, you're playing nighttime tennis inside. Like as someone, it's so stupid. Sorry, everyone. The reason Rothman and I sucked so badly in our Nationals final, and shout out to the women who carried us to that title, is because I have played under the lights twice in my life prior to that National final. And I just do wonder, because that match got late, and they had to play it under the lights. And playing under the lights is not an issue when you go to UCLA. That's how you play tennis at night in California, outdoors under lit courts. I do wonder if that played a factor, Jay. I don't know. I mean, Duke in particular has had many a thrilling, you know, NCAA wins. I mean, UCF was under the lights. You know, their match against UNC in 2021 was under the lights. Their win over NC State last year was a late night quarterfinal. Like this team has played a lot under the lights. They have lights there, uh, you know. Yeah. If anything, it was just a, a benefit that being on the West Coast, you know, that it wasn't a, like it felt didn't probably feel like a late night for them. Again, look, if you want to make a run in the national title, go practice under the lights because you're going to have to win a match under the lights. Yeah. I don't know if that really became a factor. If anything, you would think it would help Duke because with the delay, who's going to be more comfortable waiting around at the facility, maybe going back to their room for a quick minute. Like it should have really helped Duke not hurt them. So I don't know how much of a factor that was. Fascinating point. Players who were struggling. Carry on. Well, the whole UCLA team, with the exception of, you know, uh, Fangran Tian at the number one position, who was undefeated prior to this match. But look, and that's what was so remarkable. You know, you had, you know, Anne Christine Lutkamaya playing Brianna Schvetz, a fifth year senior against a freshman and, and coming back from 6-0-3-0. A remarkable performance from every single player in that UCLA, UCLA lineup up and down the lineup. Looking at that match, they probably felt like they needed to take doubles and they probably needed to take number one. They didn't do either. They're down. No, that's 2-0. And they still come back and find a way to take four of the five singles matches remaining. That's exactly the biggest storyline. Tien, the freshman, undefeated in dual match play. And look, we knew the battle between her and Beck was going to be a toss up. She goes up an early break. Beck gets it back, never looks back. And it was fascinating when Schvetz from 6-0-3 ups. Uh, 3-0 up started to struggle you could see a gear switch in Chloe Beck of I'm getting off the court right now and 
God, was she impressive, as she always is uh, throughout the course of the match. Look again, no Cam Mora for Duke. Everyone slides up. Emma Jackson did her thing, as she so frequently does, and she's been playing at three all year long, so that's a comfortable uh, position she's comfortable in. I mean, again, to your point, like, I think the uh, other than Hanson Wagle and the doubles point more broadly in TN, every player in this UCLA lineup is right around 500. Wagle is a little bit better than that. But and Hans like is like 11 and eight. Like there's a lot of 11 and eights across the board for UCLA. They against mind you, not the toughest competition. They didn't make indoors. They've played, you know, a less than elite Pac-12 this season. 20 matches. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And like, again, they go on the road. They're down 603. A freshman is down 6030 to a former top 20 player in the country. That turnaround was remarkable. Again, that match was on Schwetz's forehand, and credit to Luca Meyer as a freshman just asking every question, staying in the fight physically. She did her job. Vagramov was a different story. She was swinging freely, as was Bryce Golova. And I had one coach tell me it was really high-quality tennis down the home. I think it was Boomer Saya on the Cracked Interviews podcast uh, where he was complimenting the tennis down the home stretch. That was a really fun match across the board. And I'll tell you what, if that I, – it's West Coast. I'll admit it. I don't watch as much as I should of West Coast tennis. If that's what I've been missing with UCLA all season long, like, Jay, you're a West Coast correspondent. Why didn't you tell me? And it's just like – I mean, again, I don't want to say it was an out-of-body performance, but, like, this is the on-paper team you expect from UCLA. And talk about clicking at the right moment, Jay. Any final thoughts on the Bruins from coming out of this match, or are you ready to move on to the Duke side? Yeah, I think we can talk about the Duke side of the equation. Yeah, all right. I love Jamie Ashworth. I love Danny Leitner. I love many of the players associated with this Duke program. It's also our job to be honest. This is a disaster, Jay. Is that it? <laughs> is it, it. Gonna, I don't have a question. Yeah. That's, that's it. Like It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a match you can't lose, right? At home, under the lights, with such an advantage, right? You you knock out, you know, in doubles, you kind of, uh, that's an advantage for UCLA. You're without Cam Morris, so you have to mix up your doubles lineups a little bit, although they've gotten some familiarity with that. And look, I mean, there's, it's tough, right? I mean, you lose a match from 6-0-3-0 with a, an experienced transfer there's nothing really more to say i mean this is a, a program that's been consistently making the ncaa semifinals the last few years they bring in three grad year transfers right and none of those grad year transfers are able to contribute to this win cam mora out of the lineup and bryce glove and Schwetz, the last two matches on end up losing that is certainly the opposite of the recipe that you drew up at the start of the season when you bring those players into your lineup so look you know, it's a it's a really really disappointing result. It's a it's a shocking result. Um, yeah, there's not much more to say. It's perfectly put. It's the first tough loss Coach Ashworth and this new program have had in a really long time. And again, they've got a first a tough loss. like postseason. No loss. NCAA loss. NCAA yeah. loss. I'm saying I agree with you. And it'll be fascinating because a lot of these pieces are back next year, and to see how this group rebounds. And again. It's so fascinating. Uh, obviously, coming over from the Ivy Leagues, they were big names, highly ranked. 
it's not the same as when you face that pressure of three all and you're the home team and you're the sixth seed and you do have to see it to believe it. And this is just another reminder of that fact that Stachowiak, Broom and Furman, that's the exception, not the rule. That's like the one time where it all clicked perfectly for a bunch of transfers coming in. And I just think this highlights that fact. I agree. There's no need to beat up on Duke. There's no need to beat up on Schwetz. Everyone saw the match. There's no doubt this was unexpected. So much credit to UCLA. Uh, But again, ultimately, Duke able to advance. That's upset number one. UCLA able to advance. Uh, Thank you, UCLA. Look, this is 11th podcast of the day. I'm not going to be able to speak English. I'm just here to keep you honest. Yeah, that's all I ask for. No, needed correction. UCLA advancing to the round of 16. By the way, what a bailout. Like, God, this UCLA team's now going to be a top, probably top 16 team in the rankings at the end of the year. And now they're going to get to host a kickoff region probably. And it's just like all those, they don't all go away, but it's just like you slowly work your way back into the mix. So the lifeline extended after, again, a tremendous victory for this UCLA program. Let's move on, though, to Miami. Uh, site of our other top 16 seed being upset in this opening weekend. I, I, I know a guy who said on a podcast previewing the NCAA tournament, watch this weekend, if for nothing else, that Auburn's going to play four, three matches. And you said the first round was going to get tricky. It was. They dropped doubles. They earn a 4-3 victory. Uh, you know, Miami, it's a little different script. They win the doubles. Five straight set matches. Comes down to Adeline Flack at six. She wins that match in a deciding third. Auburn, they ninth four, it's eighth and ninth four three matches of the season, Jay. They get through Sweet 16. Your reaction? Well, it was an impressive weekend for Auburn, you know, particularly to get that win over Miami without splitting the top two, right? Both Arsenal and Ansari lose at one and two. And that had sort of been the recipe, I felt like, for the most of this season is that they were probably going to find a way to eke out doubles. Uh, they flipped some of their doubles this uh, NCAA tournament, but split Arsenal and Ansari at one and two, you know. DJ Bennett has been a rock for them over the kind of back half of this season. She got a phenomenal win over Fenning there. And then they got production from, you know, uh, Okotoi and Flack getting the clinch there, the experience. So I think a really good performance from Auburn, but it was the sort of performance I expected with the exception of, of DJ Bennett, which I thought was outstanding. The, the rest of it was what you would expect. I felt like it was more of a disappointing performance from Miami. And I think that this is sort of a second straight year. I felt like, you know, they've had flashes of brilliance in the regular season and sort of had like a ho-hum postseason. Yeah, it's a disappointing loss, especially because, you know, Noel gets a straight, you know, they get straight set wins, I think, at one and two. Yeah, and, exactly. I mean, they get three straight set victories. And, you know, again, they're a team that feels like they could get four singles victories on the right day against any team and to lose two straight set matches and again, have the deciding third set match at home and not get through there. That's a tough loss. I'm a little less critical. I think of Miami coming out of this one than Duke, just because this is the Auburn recipe. This is what they do. And, you know, again, to get, different contributions from uh, Bennett, from Okatoye, who both earned straight set victories over Fenning and Bach. I mean, they dropped six games combined against Fenning and Bach Collins. That's ridiculous. And, you know, again, Carnicella, obviously what she's done all season long as well. 
man, it's a credit to Caroline Lilly and this Auburn group, whether it's Flack, whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Ansari. And this is a group that I think everyone's back for them next year, uh, next year. And they bring back Selene Ovunk from yeah. uh, the injured reserve. Another team that is now, by virtue of probably locking up a top 16 seed, God, are they well positioned to make another jump forward next year, be in top eight contention. It's a really good win. It's a really good weekend. And, you know, again, it's going to be fun to watch this team travel to NC State because they certainly believe on any given day they can match up with anyone. Any additional thoughts on this region? You ready to rapid fire and move on? Yeah, you know me, middle name efficiency. All right, then let's middle name efficiency the rest of the way here. We're just going to go by ranking one through 16 rest of the way. We'll rapid fire through all the thoughts. UNC women, pretty straightforward. 4-0 wins in each of their matches. Obviously, uh, 4-0 over Old Dominion. Now, Cessna Skaya did win the first set over Brant Meyer in their battle at the number one spot. We also got to see the new doubles teams unleashed. I had a, I, I'm not... I uh, like again. I could do ten minutes on why Caroline Lilly is my favorite interview, but I could also do ten minutes on why Tyler Thompson today was one of my favorite interviews I did. Uh, literally out of fear of you calling me out for not doing it, I asked him about the lineup. I asked him oh, about good. all of it, Jason. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that because <laughs> I mean, like, you didn't check it out, and I there was like, listen. I mean. Just listen to the shows, folks. I didn't chicken out, is what I'm saying thus far. I'm feeling confident. I'm holding your feet to the fire, everyone. I'm doing it for in the name of journalism. I, by the way, I didn't say I didn't appreciate it. It's a good <laughs> thing. Like I was like, I owe it to Jay to ask these questions. Thank Anyways, you. UNC opening weekend thoughts. No notes, uh, other than that. I did think it was notable that Brett Meyer lost the first set. Tang Gillig was struggling as well there at three. I think those are two positions that I will be watching for as they move into this match against uh, Florida and for the duration of the NCAA tournament. But other than that, pretty straightforward. Scotty, Tran, Yarlagata, outdoors, pick your five and six. Uh, mm, Scotty is in and then depends on matchup for Yarlagata and Tran. All right. That's fair enough. Well, I agree. I'll also say this. I think we, it's been pretty public. That's this guy in the transfer portal. Got like everyone, everyone wants Assassin's guy on their team. Probably again, as out there as anyone uh, in terms of up there, a uh, hot commodity in the portal. Um, A&M number two seed. Again, they advance fairly comfortably as well. You look uh, for the Yankees this past weekend, Four over Quinnipiac, four over Baylor. Baylor really fun four three win over SMU. Thoughts on the region? Thoughts on the Aggies? Well, you know that was uh, one of the first round matches I circled as you know watching for Baylor and SMU. Scotty B got me in the in the chat. I know Baylor got that match. I predicted SMU would come away with the win, uh, but yeah, I mean, pretty straightforward result from Texas A and M. I have eight schools I have notes for. Texas A and M is not one of them. All right. By the way, Scotty B, you bring him up. Great comment from him. If we did, you know, ESPN's first take, mm-hmm. the Stephen A. Smith take coming out of the opening weekend, if this was college basketball, he points out two of the upsets from the ACC. This will be a quick tangent. Is the ACC overrated, Jay? <laughs> I yeah. might have texted that to Ethan and gotten a rage response uh, about why that was not true. And uh, But look, that is the take, right? Of like, ooh. That's the first take. Put, you know, put, puts a dent in this. Uh, the ACC is the best women's conference in the country. I don't know about this anymore. We'll see. One of Skip Bayless or Stephen A would have said it. So we had to say it here on this show. Shout out to Scotty B for the contribution as always. Yeah, look. 
Aggies look good. They've looked good all season long. Now, do I think they've looked great since the UNC semifinals? I don't know if I've seen great, great tennis the way I've seen, obviously, from a UNC, from an NC State, which is our Tier 1A. But they are really, really, really good. And, again, to beat them, you got to take the doubles point because I don't know how you're going to find four singles victories against them when Stoyana and Goldsmith and all these players are just uh, peaking the way that they are. That's your number two seed. Number three seed, NC State, your preseason pick, as I like to remind everyone, to win the NCAA championship. They looked the part. 4-0 victories for them over South Carolina State and Kansas. Thoughts? Yeah, they're up there in the power rankings here. And just in terms of impressive performances, I mean, they didn't even drop a set against Kansas. They were off the court quite quickly in those 4-0 wins. And look, this is a tough Kansas team, right? You know, in the top 25-ish. And yeah, they had no trouble at all. So looking very dangerous. Good win for Kansas over Charlotte. Shout out to Charlotte, though. Best season in program history and a program headed absolutely both men's and women's uh, in the right direction. But yeah, NT State, very good. In other news, water wet. Let's move on to number four, Georgia. I thought that Florida State match was going to get tricky. I perhaps should have anticipated it took four hours for Florida State to earn that 4-2 victory over Illinois. You do wonder how much was left in the tank. I mean, Georgia looked like a tier 1A team, 4-0 over A&M, 4-0 over Florida State. Thoughts on the uh, Bulldogs, this, or the Dogs, I should say. I did that in the pod, too. Again, 11 interviews, tired. Thoughts on the Dogs this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Dogs. Uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, if they can figure out doubles, right, we've said this all season, it's going to be very tough to crack because they have a very strong uh singles lineup and they feel like they can get two if not three of those top three singles positions against any team in the country and you have someone like meg kowalski that fifth year who it's just impossible for me to imagine her losing a match here in the ncaa's so look they look very good double digit win streak for kowalski yeah she has been excellent and yeah and she she struggled at indoors, right? And she struggled a little bit immediately after indoors. But since then, she's been uh, really, really solid. DraftKings has her 25 to 1 to be the next Georgia assistant coach, by the way, with the news. And since we're talking Georgia, what do you make? Jeff Wallace obviously announcing his retirement, one of two Division One women's coaches in history with 800-plus victories. It's also announced current associate head coach Drake Bernstein going to take over as the next head coach. What was your reaction to that? Well, what a phenomenal career he uh, Jeff Wallace has had at Georgia. You know, part of so many successful programs, helped to build you know the women's program there for as long as he's been there. Uh, you know, Drake has been a staple of Georgia. Period. Right. You know, from the area, played at Georgia, been coaching at Georgia for over a decade now. So uh, it, it felt like a a slam dunk, and they certainly like to keep it in the family there in Georgia. They have all, you know, former Georgia alums coaching. So, um, you know, congrats to, to Drake. Look forward to what he does with that program. Pretty sure his first interview was with us, folks, now available on the Cracked Interviews podcast. So be sure to go check that out. Number five, Michigan. Got a little testy against an ACC foe in Notre Dame. Ultimately, though, the Wolverines are able to progress for one victory. Felt like when that match went indoors that it was over. But, you know, again, thoughts on the Ann Arbor region. That was a very close 4-1. I yeah. do think if they had been against, again, Michigan got a cushy draw. If they had gotten any other of these, you know, if they had gotten an Oklahoma State 
Michigan's not in this I think tournament that's anymore. A ba- I think that's a bad example because Oklahoma State, they've played twice. So that, Never outdoors. Never yeah, but that outdoors. Becomes a, but it's a totally different match because you've played them twice. Like that, I agree with you. There's someone on this the pod. one one that's wrong. Someone on this pod who likes to say it's very tough to beat a team three times in a row. I'm just saying if Michigan had faced any other team, it was dicey. Okay, it was dicey. I agree. I'm just saying, like, uh, if you would have said Georgia Tech, I wouldn't have said anything. Oklahoma State's just the one because he played twice. It's like that's the one outlier. Um, Four months ago. Yeah, look, I got the. I'll say this: Jaden Brown was really good. And again, given you never, given she's been battling health injuries all season long, like every win from Jaden Brown you'll take. And the new doubles lineup is working for this Wolverines team. You know, another deficit overcome, so they take that doubles point. They were battling. And again, Notre Dame didn't blow them out anywhere. The Notre Dame was battling and forcing third sets. But for a Michigan group that, what, got to the Sweet 16 in 2021 but lost to Pepperdine pretty quickly, it's a different it, It's a different feeling for this group to get back to the Sweet 16, to get to do it at home. And so, yeah, I, I it was a little dicey. You're absolutely right. Uh, and they're going to have to play better if they want to beat Virginia. I think this weekend would be the other take as well. Well, by your logic, they beat Virginia earlier this season, so ho-hum, they're moving no. on to the quarterfinals, right? Other way around. By my logic, Virginia's faced – like, they've faced it, – it's the same thing where it works both ways. It's like it you can't – all those extracurricular shit goes out the window when you've played twice already this season, or you, you already know the team. Yes, it's different. So let me get this straight. So yeah. uh, Oklahoma State going to Michigan. Michigan's beat Oklahoma State twice. Michigan rolls Oklahoma State because of that. I didn't say roll. When did I say roll? (laughs) That was not the word I used. I said the nerves are different because that's a team you know so well. And so it's the nerves of, hey, we got to play well to beat them, not the nerves of, hey, we're an NCAA second-round team and we're a little nervous to be hosting at home. You got to delineate between the nerves, Jay. But all right, that's enough on Michigan. Let's move on to our number six seeds, of course. I thought it was a pretty good weekend for our six overall seeds, except for the fact that it was (laughs) they were knocked out. That's again, 11 hours. Seven seeds is where we're moving next. That's where I was in my head. I thought it was a pretty solid weekend for Stanford. Uh, And you know, again, looking for the Cardinal, what they were able to accomplish, the 4-1 win over Oklahoma State to be tested in that fashion and get through. Again, in my head, they were the six, not the seven. I apologize. Seven seed to Stanford. Did you go? Thoughts on the weekend? You did go. I saw yeah. the clip. Yes, I was there in attendance. Look, it was a really, really good match. A much closer uh, match than this 4-1 score indicates. Tough match for both of these teams. Oklahoma State, the first team out of those top 16 rankings. So, uh, unfortunate for them that they had to go to the seven seed in Stanford. Stanford's been, uh, you know, hasn't lost since indoors. I, I was hoping to learn more about this Stanford team and potentially their path into, you know, a deep run in the NCAAs. I'm not sure that I did. I, I thought they they played really well in certain spots, but I didn't come away thinking, wow. You know, if they had rolled over Oklahoma State like they did Texas and you're going, OK, this Stanford team is a, is a tier above any of the big 12 schools. But Oklahoma State was right there. If they take doubles, it's a very different, uh, it's a very different match. But ultimately, it's good for Stanford to face some of these tests because they have, uh, you know, been rolling for so long. A really good Oklahoma State team. Uh, mm-hmm. They could beat 
definitely on the right day, a bunch of teams in our final 16 field. And Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good day for Blakina. That's a really good win for the freshman to get. Um, Huge. Yeah. Outside of that, yeah, you're right. There are definitely still some questions uh, for Stanford as we head into this super regional round. Eighth seeded Texas. Thoughts on how the back-to-back defending NCAA champions performed? They get through pretty comfortably uh, from a scoreboard perspective. Uh, 4-0 win over Corpus Christi. 4-0 win over San Diego, who, of course, knocked off Cal 4-1 in round one. Thoughts on the Austin region? Yeah, that first round match with San Diego's win over Cal was the notable match for me in this region. I was surprised by the winner and also by the scoreline. And after that match, I thought San Diego had a chance here against Texas. I thought there were a few single spots in particular that they could potentially upset the two-time defending champion, but not to be. I think, look, Texas is playing their best tennis. They always peak here at the end of the season. And I thought they looked very comfortable in this win over San Diego. I think they come in with a lot of momentum. Uh, Kieran looked a, uh, looked a lot better. Nicole Kieran, their freshman at the number one single spot than she had all season. Uh, I thought, yeah, Shavatapan, Zainalova, like the horses are playing their best once again. And you're right. This is a team that has peaked consistently at this portion of the season over the course of the past two years. And look, that's what makes the matchup coming up this weekend against number nine Pepperdine so fascinating because this is a Pepperdine team that has the last undefeated player in the country in Savannah Brodus, now 24-0 overall, 4-0 at the number two spot. You know, Pepperdine earned a pretty comfortable 4-1 victory over USC here this weekend, Jay. And that was a match against the USC team that looked really good in the Pac-12 tournament, seemed to finally be hitting their stride. Again, I still feel like we haven't seen Pepperdine play their best match of the year. Boy, that Pepperdine-Texas match, it's going to be so good. Yeah, this is certainly one of the marquee, you know, super regional matches. Yeah, Pepperdine... Look, they have just such a remarkable top three. And the questions were really about four through six. And right now they have a Tum Chaiwat problem at number four. She's only won one match in her last eight. The good news for Pepperdine is that, you know, Redlick and Campania both look relatively strong there at five and six. So this is an interesting matchup with Texas, but I thought Pepperdine looked very strong. Again, I called that USC upset over Pepperdine, given what we had seen from USC in the Pac-12 tournament, plus the fact that they didn't have Aaron Cayetano in that you know uh, tournament in Ojai, and she's back in the lineup. I thought that would kind of put them over the edge, particularly with depth, but Pepperdine said no. So that will be the big question I'm watching for in the Super Regional is how that depth holds up against Texas. All right, fair enough. Well, then with that in mind, again, we're going to talk about that super regional matchup, so we'll get back to it in a little bit. Number 10, Ohio State. They faced a rematch from last season where they were upset by Vanderbilt. This time, the Buckeyes able to knock off Vandy for two in the regional finals. A couple of straightforward 4-0 matches in uh, the opening round. Thoughts on the Buckeyes, their victory, uh, obviously, to advance to the super regional? Well, this was like the longest doubles point you can ever get in college tennis. I think it's tennis. still going. Yeah, it might still be. They decided to keep playing. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I felt like once Ohio State lost that, I was like, uh-oh, like this could be in danger territory. But not to be. Ohio State looked really strong in singles. Uh, and I thought at, at that point after, you know, 
they took however many first sets. I was like, okay, this is not going to go the way of Vanderbilt. So a disappointing end for Vanderbilt in the end of their season, but a good win for Ohio State, who I think certainly as the 10 seed here, we haven't seen much from down the home stretch of the season. Good for them to make the round of 16. Wilson two and two over Stevens is notable because she has that experience at that six spot has played in round of 16. She's playing a lot better to end the season. And yeah, it just feels like she is the option. They're going to go with that six. They drop the doubles point to your point to rebound the way that they did six first sets and singles that speaks for itself. It's a really good Buckeyes team. It's going to be a really fun match against Stanford. Uh, one of course, I don't believe we will have, unfortunately, one of the few we won't have on our Crack Rackets broadcast, but one I'm sure John J. Parsons will be at, so we will get the full scoop on, of course, next week. Number 11, Iowa State. It's the year of firsts. It continues. First Sweet 16 in program history. They're going to get to host that match as well. Looked really good in taking the doubles point over Wisconsin. 4-1 victory over the Badgers in the Super Regional. Thoughts on this one? Uh, excuse me, in the for opening weekend, thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think, you know, people were circling that Iowa State-Wisconsin match, you know, Big 12 versus Big 10 to kind of see where, you know, good measuring stick match. But I thought Iowa State looked really strong. Their doubles continues to look uh, like something that will buoy them for the duration of this NCAA tournament. And this is now a team that, you know, you saw this last year with Oklahoma where you start getting hot and you just have that confidence, you have that belief, and you can ride that for a very long way. And one of the big winners of this weekend was certainly Iowa State, right? They are the beneficiary of that Duke loss. Now they get to host the Sweet 16, their first ever. That's a massive bonus for them. And so um, they come away extremely proud and happy from this past weekend. And a bunch of different players contribute to wins. Kablakova becomes the single season winningest player in Iowa State history in both singles and doubles. The year first, it continues for Iowa State. And again, comes full circle now as they beat UCLA to really kick things off during the kickoff weekend. They get the rematch in the Super Regional, which, of course, we'll talk about in a moment. Number 12, Virginia, 4-0 in name only over Princeton in the regional final top three matches all going to three sets again a match that extended in well into a third hour um thoughts on the who's ultimately able to get through to another round of 16 yeah well they i mean virginia had the cushiest region of any top 16 seed with the, the schools that went to them by ranking no elaine Chervinsky for virginia this weekend but that was a close uh close match against uh princeton you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if there is a lot to to take away from this match. The one thing that I thought was impressive from Virginia, much like the the Michigan team, is that you know they dropped some second sets and they were able to rebound and come back and get those victories. So that's what the better teams do. And certainly, if you're going to win, uh, you know, your next match, you're going to have to do that as well. So good rebound from this Virginia team, but um, definitely faced some adversity against a, a surprising opponent. Good to get wins at the bottom of the lineup against Princeton because that'll be the biggest question. Uh, you know, that'll have to be the biggest strength, excuse me, for this Virginia team if they want to make a run here in May. And so even Sans Stravinsky, again, good victories. Uh, and as expected, the Who's advance. Uh, let's talk next about our number 13 seed, uh, I believe. Of course, that is Oklahoma. The Sooners, another team. They seem to be hitting their stride. They flexed against Washington. I thought it looked pretty good, Jay, in that 4-1 win. Staker, 5-2 down in her first set. She takes it 7-5. I texted the group chat if she's doing that again. Uh-oh. Um, 
thoughts on the Sooners? And, and obviously, again, a Washington that earned an impressive win over Arkansas in round one. Yeah, and uh, Washington that beat UCLA just you know a, a week ago in the Pac-12 tournament. I thought this was a really impressive weekend from Oklahoma. They've now been undefeated at home these past two years. It very much gave the vibes of, okay, this team seems to be peaking at the right time. they got a few players there. I mean, doubles has been strong for them all year. Sleeth seems to be playing some of her best tennis now. You know, Donna Guzman has looked exceptional this season. Freshman Julia Garcia is starting to click. It's dangerous, you know, for the rest of this field. I talk about that belief and you can start to snowball that belief into a deep run here. You know, uh, they're looking good. They're looking good. Absolutely. 15, uh, Tennessee, because we talked about 14 Miami already. Look, the goal for the Vols, get to the Sweet 16 this season. They accomplished that. The 15th seeded Vols, impressive victory. uh, Most notably, of course, 4-1 over Wake Forest to advance to this super regional battle against conference foe A&M. I'm very excited to talk to Coach Ojeda on Thursday. Obviously, a show we'll have for all of you. What did you think about the Vols here? Well, they were a little overshadowed by the Arizona State Wake Forest, you know, 4-3 thriller. Uh, But ultimately, you know, they're the beneficiary of that thriller because they end up facing a Wake Forest team who I'm sure didn't have much left physically nor emotionally. But, uh, yeah, they advance as, you know, we expected them to. And, look, they have looked so good this entire season, in particular down the home stretch. So looking forward to that match against A&M. Yeah, the depth. And, again, it's two teams that know each other really well and no secrets. Um, this Tennessee team will believe they have the chops to beat A&M, which is half the battle in these sorts of matches. And again, when it's a conference opponent, the fact that it's a first sweet 16 doesn't really matter for this group. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really fun weekend of tennis across the board. And obviously last, but certainly not least, Florida kind of just quietly did their thing over the course of this past weekend, you know, a really impressive 4-1 victory over Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, the 4-1 win over UCF, which let's not, you know, that's an impressive win for the Yellow Jackets. But, you know, this was a match we circled as upset alert. And Florida gives Georgia Tech kind of the business in this one. Yeah, look, I am not good at predictions. One of my, <laughs> like, fatal flaws is, like, if there's a chance something could happen, I like to pick it. And then all of a sudden I've, like, done that consistently over my entire bracket and the whole thing is bust. But one, one match I did feel good about was this Georgia tech, Florida match. I felt like Florida was going to win this match. And I think it's tough to win matches there in Gainesville. And look, there are a few lines in this Florida team that look exceptionally strong. Sarah Dahlstrom has looked strong all year at number one. She gets a fantastic win over Georgia tech's number one, Carol Lee and three and four. Dudney, Galis have had phenomenal seasons, exceptional records for both uh, both of them. Galis, just a freshman. So they looked really good in Georgia Tech. And I think if you're power ranking these top, you know, these teams left in the Sweet 16, Florida for me is in like the top four. Not that they're a top four contender necessarily, but just on, on form and what they did this past weekend. I thought Florida looked excellent. Yeah, look, I mean... Georgia Tech really did put up a fight, uh, particularly, you know, again, three, three set matches to decide things. It was close down the home stretch mm-hmm. but to win doubles against that Georgia Tech team to get straight set victories at one and three. That's a really, you know, that's a really impressive one, especially over our Jane and Lee, who have both been really good all mm-hmm. year long. And so, yeah, uh, sh- shout out to this Gators team. I, I think that 
battle in Chapel Hill is going to be sneaky fun uh, over the course of this weekend. Certainly one we have circled. And with that in mind, Jay, I do want to ask you last question before we move on. Any other best? What, what, what were your best match? Give me your three best matches, first round, second round, otherwise of the opening weekend. Top of the head. Uh, well, I, I mentioned the Wake Forest Arizona yeah. State match that four three. You know, uh, I forget how far you know uh, killing it was Killingsworth, right? Who had the clinch? Uh, I forget she was down in that third set. Uh, too bad for Arizona State that they didn't have Fontanelle in the lineup, but that was a great match for Wake Forest. Uh, let's see what else comes to mind. Um, the Baylor Duke UCLA duh. Duh. I was going yeah. first round just to give some love to those, you know, non-second round teams. Baylor SMU, I think SMU's had a really phenomenal good. season, really close to getting Illinois, that win. Illinois, Florida State, really good, really good match. Uh, let's see where else you got to uh, keep in mind. I only had like half the site, so half of it I'm oblivious to. Uh, Washington, Arkansas, I thought was a, a really, was really good, good battle. Um, I actually thought Oklahoma-Washington was really good because Oklahoma had to play so well to win. It was just like one of those matches you really did know. You're like, wow, like that was yeah. good. Yeah, they had to, they had to bring their best. You're absolutely right. Um, first round matches, those were the ones that I felt like delivered. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be named the them. Biggest flop was Cal-San Diego. I thought that had 4-3 written all over it. And like San Diego... That was the oh, yeah yeah that was the biggest underperformer for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, I also thought that Pepper the Iron uh, USC match. I was a little disappointed that that wasn't a closer match. I was expecting more from that. Uh, so in terms of second round flops, that was a second round flop. I agree, but Pepperdine played really well, too. And again, that sets us up for this next weekend. Super regional, sweet 16, higher ranked team, not top eight seeds, higher ranked team, you have to specify, hosting the home match here in this final match before we head to the final site in Orlando. Top of the brain here, Jay. We're just going to go through what I find most interesting, and I'm probably going to be corrected as we go along the way. Uh, But of course, I want to ask you, in each of these previews now, as we get into our super regionals, and again, we're so fortunate enough, I believe we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of these eight super regionals on our Crack Rackets broadcast coming up this weekend. I want to hear predictions. I want to hear swing matches. Let's start out with the barn burner. It was two years ago that this was the battle for the NCAA championship. Texas taking on Pepperdine, Texas, the eight seed Pepperdine, the nine, this match Saturday, 1 PM Eastern time in Austin, Texas. Again, it'll be on our stream. Which way you lean in? What are the keys? Well, I want to say that Pachkaleva is the swing match, right? Playing against her former school in Pepperdine. But I would say if she is the swing match, that's a bad case scenario for Texas. They absolutely need to get four on the board. That's been a point for almost every team facing Pepperdine here. Pepperdine has an extremely strong top three. That is not Texas's strength, with the exception of Zainalova at three. I think Pepperdine has a very good case to win doubles. They've looked better than they did down the home stretch. Texas is without Marley Zane. Uh, the grad transfer from Florida, who was a big factor in this doubles lineup. Give me Pepperdine taking doubles and they could sweep the top three. If they only get two, then give me Redelic to clinch at five. 
it's going to be a really good match. And yeah, looking across the board, you mentioned it, Zainalova now overall in the year, another 16 and four campaign. She's six and two in her last 10. You know, you have a Rivkin who's six and one in her last 10. You have a Rappel. I mean, all the numbers are going to be gaudy five and mm-hmm. one in her last 10. Kieran really 15 and five, eight and two in her last 10. She's won her last six decisions. I mentioned that earlier. That's been the big piece. And yet, you know what? Who's who's at one now for Isazar? Even nowadays, yeah. Who can even keep track? You probably still lead Czar in that matchup versus Kieran. You have to lean Brodus in the matchup at two. All due respect to Shavatapan, Brodus is undefeated. Like, how can you yep. pick against her? And then, yeah, Chen versus Zainalova is a toss-up. They are yeah. at three and. You know, again, with how good Revelick's been at. So, again, you say 2-1 there, Pepperdine, you'd lean. But, again, Texas has been so good at the 4, 5, and 6 spot. They're 17 and 3 at 5. They're 15 and 6 at 6. And for what it's worth, they're 20 and 1 at the number 2 double spot. Like, there are positions where Texas is really good, where Pepperdine has struggled. And that is what makes this match so fascinating. Is It's just like it's a perfect matchup for both teams to find three points. Where the hell is number four? Um, that said, the match is in Austin. Always feels like it's worth noting, especially yep. in these super regionals. That's going to matter. Again, definitively, one way or the other, how are you feeling? Well, I'm not definitively one way or the other, but uh, I lean Pepperdine in this match, despite the home court advantage for Texas. I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen as many chinks in the armor here for Pepperdine, although there are some. Uh, but again, I think that they are in, in equal oppositions. So that's what makes this matchup fun. Quietly, this Pepperdine team, 20 and three overall in the year. And it's like their three losses, UNC 4-2, Auburn 4-2, UCLA 4-3. For what it's worth, all of those teams are still alive in the 2023 NCAA tournament. Obviously, again, Texas has been very good as well. I think all of their losses are also still alive at this NCAA tournament. It's the barn burner. It's the one that feels like you're getting a guaranteed 4-3. You have established superstars, right, in the Brodises, in the Chens, in the Shavatapans, and Rapalus and Zainalovas who have been around the NCAA championship block. It's blockbuster. 1 p.m. Eastern time Austin, in Austin, Texas, also available on our Crack Rackets broadcast. All right. That's the clear cut number one. I'm going to stay in conference for number two, Georgia, Oklahoma, the rematch. Now this was a battle we saw at the national indoors. All seven match uh, points actually finished. Georgia finished the clinch five, two, but it's not the same Oklahoma team. It's the Oklahoma team we expected to see at the start of the year. At the same time, it's also kind of the Georgia team we expected to see at the start of the year in the sense that Ma Vidmanova, They're both in the doubles lineup now. And I do still wonder for both of these teams. Now, I do think the answer was uh, the question was answered a little bit more definitively by Oklahoma against Washington. Have we seen the best version of this team at all this year? I think we've started to see it from Oklahoma. I think the scariest part about Georgia is I don't know if we've seen the best version of their team thus far, and they are already this good. I think this is another barn burner, Jay. Keys to the match. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, this one is m- much more intriguing to me than Pepperdine, Texas, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, because one, it's in Athens. So I hope and anticipate that there'll be an extremely large crowd there. And you just get the sense that this Oklahoma team is going to really embrace that underdog role. That is where they found success last season as the underdog. 
And I think coming at the start of the season, they weren't underdogs in those matches against Michigan and Ohio State. And I think that was a mentality shift for them. They're a big underdog here, right? They didn't win their conference title. Georgia did, right? They're the SEC tournament title. I do think they're starting to play their best tennis. And that's a huge advantage, I think, for Oklahoma, who, look, there's going to be a big crowd and Georgia is going to embrace it. Oklahoma is going to embrace it. This one is has more of an edge to me than that Pepperdine Texas match. Yeah, and you're going to get a lot of rematches across the board also, which I think is going to make this match particularly spicy. You're absolutely right. Like, you know where this Oklahoma – the same way I, I've said on the men's, the Arizona men are going to thrive in Columbus. The Oklahoma women are going to thrive in Athens. Like, yeah. that's a really fun battle. And, again, up and down the board, like, as good as Vidmanova is, as much as you see her weapons and you just think she can blitz everyone off the court, you know how hard it is to blitz Donna Guzman off the freaking court and how fun that contrast of styles is on court number two? Well, uh, you know, Vipinova's, you know, not really a blitzer, you but know, with so that serve, she can overwhelm people. She can. But look, one of her losses this year, Carolyn Unsari, you know what Unsari and Guzman have in common? They exactly. will never go away. With- and so in, you look at Lane Sleeth and Leah Ma, they played this season at indoors. That was not a gimme for Leah Ma. That was the one with the, the as I'm reminded, the interesting yeah. ending. Yes, there was an interesting ending there. So, look, I think up and down this lineup, it's going to be very close. And you know who has, look, struggled all year in doubles? Georgia. Who hasn't? Oklahoma. Oklahoma is going to be favored in that doubles point. If they can go up 1-0, this is going to be very interesting. This just have has the aura and the atmosphere of a Sweet 16 vibe that I think – you know, uh, supersedes what we were talking about with Texas Pepperdine. Yeah, I, I disagree just because of the history between those two programs in the NCAA tournament, how good they've been over this past three-year run. At the same time, I agree that this match is as good. Like I said, it was second most interesting, but they're both four three-years in my mind. You going to give me the pick, Jay? Which way are you leaning? I do not see Georgia losing this match at home, so I'll lean Georgia. All right, Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time in Athens, a match we will have on our stream. Jeff Wallace's final home match of his coaching career. Again, has had so much success there. You really do hope it's a special crowd because both of these teams will thrive in that environment. And both of these teams are very much worthy of a special crowd as well. All right, I think those are the clear-cut top two, truth be told. Now it goes by degree of intrigue. And I just got to be honest. Iowa State UCLA is really freaking intriguing to me, Jay, because obviously, again, what this number 11 Iowa State team has done this season of firsts and, you know, national indoor semifinals to beat Texas at the national indoors to not play a bad match. They have not had a bad result go against them at any point this season. They've been really good. You know, they're going to be really competitive in doubles. You know, Obi, Kadlakova probably going to put two points on the board. At the same time, I don't know how good this UCLA team is. Like, they're the biggest variable right now in the entire round of 16. And the least expected team to get there, of course, also. I don't know, Jay. I mean, I've I've been texting about this with you to ridicule. But I'm intrigued by this match quite a bit. Your thoughts on the keys, your level of intrigue, which way you lean in. 
Well, it's a very deserving number three on this list, right? Because it screams opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the the narratives here and the storylines are are so clear, right? This is a full circle moment like we talked about earlier. And both of those teams have had very different seasons after that kickoff weekend. Iowa State has gone on to be the Cinderella story of the season. And UCLA has gone on to be... I don't know, the volatile problem child where like they show up on some matches, then other times they don't. And one of these teams is going to advance to the quarterfinals. And and in some ways, Iowa State has now flipped this uh, matchup on its head. They were the clear underdog at kickoff weekend. That was the highest ranked win in program history at the time. And now they're the favorite, right? They're the seed. They're the host team against such a decorated program like UCLA. So for that reason and for just the, you know, the variability in this matchup, I think it's one to watch. UCLA, don't know if they've ever gone to Ames, Iowa to play a match mm-hmm. there, but it could be a first time. So a lot of firsts for both of these teams. Uh, I lean Iowa State here. I lean the home home crowd here. Um, hopefully they do they talk about a team that deserves a crowd at this match. It's absolutely the Cyclones. Uh, I lean them in doubles. And I lean them in kind of the bottom half of that lineup. Um, so I'll go Iowa State. I think it's going to be very close, though. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Look, again, it, it is fascinating. The opportunity for each of these programs here to get to the quarterfinals, given the context of each of their seasons. Outside of TN and doubles, again, you're just never sure what you're going to get from UCLA. And there's a world where if Iowa State takes doubles, Kadlikova, Obi do their things that they have all year long. It's a quick 3-0 lead for Iowa State. And again, finding, you know, can UCLA find a miracle four again? Certainly not, right? At the same time, they just did it. And we know how good Hans can be. And we know how good Wagley can be. And we just saw how good Vagramov was. And hell, give a freshman confidence and see what Luke Meyer can do with it. It's a fascinating matchup, uh, one I know we're all going to be following the score lines of Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. You're taking Iowa State. Yeah, I, again, one I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the result of, and it's going to be fascinating to see either of these teams uh, in Orlando. All right, after this, it gets tough. Um, hmm. Let's go, because I love you so, We'll go with number seven, Stanford. And you mentioned the questions you have about them coming out of their 4-1 win over Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State. They're going to take on another OSU. This time it's Ohio State. Thoughts on the matchup? Keys to it? Which way are you leaning? Well, this wouldn't have been my four, but okay. I think it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, we need to see more from the Stanford team, right? I, in some ways, it was good that they uh, good that they get through that, that tough match, but... Look, I think doubles is starting to look pretty strong for them. Number three doubles with Connie Mom, Valencia Shoes, really starting to click. Uh, Blockina and Blake have been strong all season. Maybe looking to see a rebound from Yapifanova, who took her first loss uh, since indoors this past weekend against Christina Novak of Oklahoma State. So those are the keys that I'm looking for. If uh, Stanford takes both doubles and number one singles, then I think they will be in a really good spot. I think Stanford's depth is starting to look really strong. And if there were doubts about, you know, we've talked about that top three of Yepa Finova, Connie Ma, and Angelica Blake this season. Yepa Finova and Connie Ma didn't look great against Oklahoma State. 
but what stepped up was their depth. And so that will be a big key for them if they want to have a deep run here. And if they get doubles, I think this could be a quick match for Stanford uh, and they could find a lot of success at the bottom of the lineup. I'm sorry to keep plugging it. The reason I have this match so high is talking to a lot of coaches, players, not just for the interviews, but more broadly here as we approach NCAAs, making Orlando plans. A lot of people have talked to me about this match. Like a lot of people are intrigued by it and look like what Brisniak's done at five. She's been about a lock this year. And again, Ratliff on the right day can look really, really good. Arena Contos, you know what you're getting from her. Just a tough out and, this Buckeye team is, you know, Coley Allen, Isabel Boulay, they're going to fight. Uh, there's no doubt this team will not roll over, as we saw following the doubles point against Vanderbilt, to lose that doubles point and respond like they did at singles. Lesser teams roll over after a three-day doubles point. They did not. If Stanford rolls, they're as good as we thought they will be. That's what I'll say. And again, I, I just I'm, I'm very interested because I don't know how good Stanford is. I know how experienced this Ohio State team is. It's what I'm interested in. You got a pick for me? Score line? I'm leading Stanford 4-2. All right, Stanford 4-2. I like that it's a lot of 4-2, four, 4-3s four, uh, through our first four warm-ups, uh, four, excuse me, matchups. We'll go now to the other side of the Big Ten teams, still alive. Number five, Michigan, taking on number 12, Virginia. Are we betting something on this just because of the schools and our ties to this two schools? Again, what is it? Just pride, I suppose, is on the line here in this one. Obviously, it's a rematch. National indoors, Michigan, 4-2 victory over Virginia. Uh, You know, for what it's worth, I know she was injured a lot of the year, but Annabelle Shue did play in that match for Virginia at the National indoors. Lots changed. Julie Adams did not. Yes, that was the one that was absent, and you beat me to it. But, you know, thoughts on this one, the keys, which way you leaning? Yeah. You know, a, a good match for both, right? A comfortable match for both where they have, you know, experienced each other this year. Um, I haven't seen a ton from this Virginia team. I think it's helpful to have Annabelle Zhu back in the lineup. I think where where Virginia has been strong is in doubles. I think Virginia's calculus here is in doubles. And I just don't know if they can take one of I don't know if they can take both of the top two. I think they have Adams at one, who I, I don't think is going to win. Subash, who's looked okay this season, but you know Jaden Browns looked very strong. And if you're going to beat Michigan, you need to take both, if not at least one of those top two. So it it becomes a question of depth. I've just seen more from the, this Michigan team. Um, I do lean Michigan in this match. I think there are teams who could get this done in Ann Arbor that will probably lose elsewhere that might not lose in Ann Arbor, but I don't think this Virginia team is one of them. Michigan team's really deep. And again, if you don't have the big gun to pressure Miller at one, like I, you wish if you're Virginia to switch the matchups and it could be Subash versus Miller and the grinding nature of Adams versus Jaden Brown right now, that's not going to be the matchups, right? I believe uh, Adams is back at yeah, the no, one no switching. Adams is your number one. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, Michigan's depth. I mean, Fliegner, Jones, Sardon, uh, they're getting two of those. They always do. And like yeah. again, it's just it's battles everywhere. And with all things being equal, you you lean towards the home team. You lean to the team with the better track record thus far. I get the logic behind your pick. You say Michigan four two? Yeah, I'll go Michigan four two. Okay. I, well, four four, four three. I mean, okay. I, I think it's gonna be 
you know, relatively close. Uh, the question is, is does Travinsky play, right? She was absent uh, for Virginia this past weekend. You know, that's a, a, a spot that they could at least move people down in, right, to try and give their best shot at winning matches like at five and six. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, just because these next matches are lower on my list in degree of intrigue does not mean I'm not fascinated by all of them. That's just the that's the underlying assumption for each and every one of these matchups, just to be clear. For me, at least. For me, yeah. I'm not going to speak for you. No, because I don't co-sign this order. We're going off Gruskin's order, so I might have a different opinion I, of thought. Can I ask you your order at the end of the eight? I think it's uh, fun at. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you the I'll 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 tell you the one when we get there that I would have had much higher. Okay, well, maybe we're going to get there Where now. are we going next? UNC versus Florida, because I think that's the one you do have a little bit higher. You talked about how you think this Florida team is really good right now. Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, Chapel Hill. North Carolina has only lost once this year. You all know the stakes. You all know the deal. Is this the one you'd have higher? I would have this higher, and I think we talked about this a little earlier. What is most intriguing to me about this match is the recipe that the Gators employed over Georgia Tech. Doubles, one, three, and four. And if this Florida team is going to beat UNC, it is going to be doubles, one, three, and four. I think Brantmeyer did not look excellent at number one. I think that, again... We don't need to get into the lineups, but that is potentially a vulnerable spot for them. And they show that against ODU. Dahlstrom has looked really strong this season. And I talked about Dudney and Galis. Tangillig not looking strong right now. It would not surprise me if North Carolina pulls Abby Forbes at number four um, and goes, you know, Scotty, uh, Yarla, Tran, Yarlagata, because I think there's a narrow path to victory here for florida that includes one three and four interesting here's what i'll say to everyone with the questions about the lineup for unc really go listen to the tyler thompson pod i really think you're going to enjoy it he's very candid in his answer and maybe you'll have follow-ups that you would have liked for me but i'm trying to keep them all 30 minutes so i got to stick to the script in those interviews and uh but again yeah sort of team fights man they grind like it takes three hours to beat them. And yes, if this match is indoors, you might lean UNC 4-0. It's not. It's outside. It, I, it's, again, all conditions equal. How can you pick against the Tar Heels against anyone other than NC State, who you've actually seen beat them? This is a really fun match. Are you doing it, Jay? You said if you see the potential for it, you sometimes lean that way. Is there <laughs> no, going to be an upset? No, that's my fatal flaw, but I'm not leaning it. The weather looks maybe a little dicey on Saturday, which is super unfortunate. Um, uh, gosh, how this match is this Friday. Is oh, this is Friday? Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, what a beautiful night in Chapel Hill. Go out and enjoy <laughs> some amazing college tennis. Uh, looks beautiful. No, I uh, I lean uh, North Carolina here, but because uh, I, I think they you know roll in some of those matches that we didn't talk about. Uh, right, well, for, for one. If you can't go to the match, tune into it. We'll have it for you on our Cracked Racket stream. Another one we'll have NC State taking on Auburn. Again, a fun matchup between two on-the-rise programs. Which way you lean in? What are the keys? Well, this one deserved to be last. 
but uh, uh, NC State, I think, honestly, it's match. just because I didn't want to reach for the Texas A&M button. But carry on. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it's been a, a, a remarkable season for NC State. Uh, you know, they have a, a nice draw here facing Auburn team who look plays a lot of four three matches. The match I'm most interested in here is DJ Bennett versus Rejecki. Both have been phenomenal there. That three line should be a really fun battle. Get to see Schneider continue in action. Um, at, there's just too much fire, firepower from NC State in both doubles at one, at two, and um, and at the the five line as well. I think that's going to be their quick path to four zero. So for Auburn, it's doubles three, four, six. Hypothetically, hypothetically, those would be the positions. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Uh, uh, you saying NC State four zero? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Well, then, last but certainly not least, rematch. This one should have been way higher. I honestly just forgot who they were playing. Again, it's been a long day of talking, but, God, this match is really good. Number two, A&M, versus number 15, Tennessee. It's a rematch from the SEC season. No one blows out this Tennessee team. They're too good across the board. Obviously, this match being in College Station, you know it's going to be outside. Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on our broadcast. Keys to the match, Jay. Which way you lean it? Well, no one blows out this Tennessee team except for Texas A&M earlier in the season. It was 6-1. No, but, but I watched that <laughs> match. There were a lot. Of, like It was very yeah. close for a very long time. I called it, that match. Yeah, it was closer than 6-1 but yeah. uh, in, in, in theory. But Texas A&M has played a lot of those matches. Sure. Right. And they've come out as the winner in a lot of those matches. They haven't had a lot of matches where they just like steamroll, you know, with a bunch of straight set wins. But I think this is a different Tennessee team. It's, again, not a fan of the super regional format. I think it's unfortunate that this is in College Station. I would, I think, on a neutral site, the calculus becomes very different. Just like we saw Texas AM and Georgia, that match gets flipped on a neutral site. So I think Texas AM does get through this, but. This one has sneaky upset potential. I think that there is um, there's a pathway here. It runs through Tennessee's top of the lineup, most notably at two and three. They have to get Mertenna over Ewing at two. They have to get Kutzer um, uh, uh, at three over uh, Cooperus, which is going to be tough to do. They were six four in the third last time, um, and they got to take doubles. So those are three points. They got to find one more. No, that's I. I... It's hard to disagree with that assessment. It's also worth noting as we wrap our coverage here of the Super Regional, on the women's side, not a single host team has lost a round of 16 match in the two prior years we've done this. 2019, all eight host teams advance on the women's side. 2022, all eight host teams advance on the women's side. Now, of course, again, first time a non-top eight seed in Iowa State will be hosting one of these matches, but... In Jay picking just the one upset of the eight in Pepperdine, know that he's actually going against the grain because we've never seen it happen before. And it'll happen eventually, but it hasn't happened yet. And so with that said, final thoughts on what should be a really fun Super Regional weekend. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, right? We will know who makes it to Orlando. I'm excited to see a lot of these storylines that we talked about. Uh, continue through and we kind of split the action between Friday and Saturday so it should be a fun-filled weekend yeah we will see who advances to the final eight in Orlando I am very much in lockstep with you and again that's why our crack racket team is so excited to be broadcasting 
so much of the action will have coverage. I think starting 3 p.m. on Friday, we'll have coverage, I believe, starting at noon on Saturday of just the Division One action. We'll have Division Two, Division Three action coming up for you starting this Friday. As again, we are thrilled to cover so much of the remaining NCAA tournament play across the college tennis universe. Of course, before we go, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all of our coverage here at Crack Rackets possible. A shout out to Dalton Thieneman for all he does behind the scenes as well. A massive shout out to you, of course, as well, my dear friend, John J. Parsons, for helping us cover all the action. Keep everyone up to date. I know you and Ethan had a lot of fun over on the No Ad, No Problem blog this week as well. So for people looking for additional preview coverage, highly recommend you go check out Jay's content as always. Shout out to LS. Shout out to Turner. Uh, before we wrap, any final thoughts, Jay? Or are you ready to hit this show on the road? We can hit the show on the road, but uh, not much happening on my blog. It's all on the podcast uh, at this point, more of an audio format. Um, so, yeah. Can I just say, as someone who started writing as well, and then the moment you taste the podcasting elixir, you're like, yeah, or I could not write. And I could just talk. <laughs> that, uh, it's, it's the same uh, production quality. And so been there, my friend. I promise the podcast is worth it. With all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turn and LS, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.